we're here together and the Lord is here. And uh, I believe he wants to do something very special in our lives this morning. I want to talk to you about worship and uh, what worship is. There's so many aspects to worship. Uh, worship is about loving God. Um, worship is about adoring him. Worship is coming into relationship with him. And uh, worship it, it involves expression. And you can see the title up there, Worship, Loving God Through Expression. So we all express our love. And that's what God invites us to do, to express how we feel, how much we love him, coming into his presence, adoring him. And that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Now, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and you know this from our series that we're doing on prayer. And uh, by the way, we'll have a complete set of notes available this week on the prayer lessons uh, that we've been doing. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Now, Jesus made that statement to his disciples, to followers of him, who had observed prayer in their religious tradition in some way that was just that. It was just tradition. And uh, there was no feeling. There was no love. There was no real connection with God in it. And Jesus said, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. Don't pray like they do. They you know, they make a big show in the open of what they're doing. But he says, there's a place for coming into the presence of God alone, privately, and worshiping him there. And then as we come together as the body of Christ, we come as people who have already been involved in worship. We've been worshiping him in our life and through our week and through the things that we experience day by day in our connection with God. So Jesus said, this then is how you should pray, our Father. So there was the, he just talked about that private place of prayer, and now he talks about that communal place, that place where we come together. as Just as it was happening, as Jesus was talking to his disciples, he said, you come together, and it's our Father. So our connection with God is based upon the fact that we are his children, that we have a relationship with him as sons and daughters. And that's a wonderful relationship. It's hard for us to comprehend fully what that means because in our world with earthly parents, our earthly parents have flaws. But our Heavenly Father has no flaws whatsoever. He's never unfair. He's never cruel. He's never unkind. He never denies us. He showers his love on us every day we live. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be your name. So worship begins with prayer to God as Father and worshiping him for who he is. Worshiping him for who he is. Worship literature should focus on that. It should focus on God and who he is and how we extol him, how we love him, how we praise him. So Jesus said, and I want to talk to you about something that happens 
very commonly in our experience in John chapter 4, verse 23. And this is the woman at the well. He said, a time is coming and has now come when the true wor- worshipers will worship the Father in, this, in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the, fathers, the Father rather seeks. So um, it's amazing to think that God actually seeks our love. He desires our love. He, he created us to love him. And, it's, and there's such a thing as true worship. And true worship has true expression. And it can only really happen through the Holy Spirit, through his presence in our lives flowing out through us with words and actions of praise and worship, of adoration to God. And he desires that. Now, for those of you that are my age, or around my age, a little older, a little younger, we often look back in the past and we say, wow, you know, worship happened back then and it was, there was revival and there was, there was this and there was that and there was so many things that happened. And so uh, that's just um, where we are. We think back of the good days and the good times. But worship isn't about what happened in the past. It was about what happened in the past in the past, but the past is not the present. Don't ask me to say that again, because <laughs> I'm just not sure. I think you caught what I'm saying. In other words, worship is not about celebrating what we used to do, as important as it was then. It's about, well, and it's not about the future. Lots of people say, well, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. But Jesus said, the Father is seeking for people now to worship him in spirit and in truth. So though we can celebrate what happened in the past and remember it fondly, and we can look forward to the future, worship is about the here and the right now, right in this place, right today. The Father seeks True worship and true expression. In the uh, the dictionary, uh, this is the Merriam-Webster uh, uh, dictionary. There's a definition for worship, and these are the worship is here is a verb. It also can be used as a noun. But some of the words that are there is to adore, to deify to glorify, to revere, it's reverence, it's to venerate, it's to, it's to just extol a person. When you look in the, in the, uh, through the Bible, all the different words that are used to worship God, I extol you. Uh, we, we just find all of these different words. Hallowed be your name. You are holy. You are perfect. You are creator. You are Lord. Worship, and here's something you, we need to understand. It's so vital to worship. Worship is not about the worthiness of the worshiper. It's about the worthiness of the one who is being worshipped. The minute that you think that, well, I'm not worthy to, 
worship him. I'm not worthy to come into his presence. I've done this and I've done that and I've had all of these terrible bad experiences and as soon as you come into the idea of worship, you come into church and people are raising their hands, you say, I'm not qualified. It's not about you. It's about him and what he's done for you. And through the precious blood of Christ, we enter into his presence. We don't enter into his his presence through any sense of our worthiness. We enter into his presence based upon the blood of the cross, the blood of the Lamb. He is the grounds for our worship. He is the one that makes it possible. He is the one who makes it meaningful. He is the one that qualifies you to worship him. You can never qualify yourself. And, and, and so, so often I think people come into church and they see everybody worshiping and praising and, and things and they just feel so self-conscious, so unworthy. Well, I did this and I did that. And if I raise my hands, what will people think and go through all of those things? Well, put that aside because at the foot of the cross, we are all equal. There's none better than another. There's only one who's worthy, and that's Jesus. It's all about the one we worship. It's not about the worshiper. That's so vitally important. Now, obviously, in worshiping the Lord, there's the reciprocal blessing. He, he is Father, and so he pours out blessing and forgiveness and grace and all of those things in our lives. It's not that worship is a sterile experience for those of us who worship. It's not. It's anything but that. It's full of the blessing of the Lord. Now, uh, just hold off on that one for a second. Uh, I want to just explain this to you. Uh, David was coming to the end of his life. He had asked for an offering for a temple that it was in his heart to build, but he couldn't build it because there was blood on his hands. And so the Lord... God denied him the privilege of building the temple. But his son, Solomon, was destined to follow him as the king of Israel. And uh, to Solomon was given the task to build this glorious temple, this place of worship, something like they had never uh, seen before. And uh, now you can put that up. This is his song of praise, David's song of praise, and of prayer. In fact, if you read all of chapter 29, everything that leads up to this is full of praise. But then there's a prayer, and, and David is praying for Solomon, and he says, Give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands. So he was looking forward to this day, and Solomon was the one to be the, the who would follow him as king, and he didn't want any competition for that position, so he called for this big celebration where the people would celebrate the Lord and they would anoint Solomon as the king. And so David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. Now we come here this morning and he says the same thing. He says, Come into his presence with praise to the Lord. And so they all praised the Lord. The God of their fathers, they bowed down. So there's a part of praise. You can notice several things in these verses. 
that are aspects or expressions of praise in celebration of what God was going to do. And so they bowed down. And sometimes when you come into the house of the Lord, you'll see people bowing. Bowing doesn't have to be something that we do in concert, although we can. We can all, we could say, well, let's all bow now before the Lord. And in some churches, they do that. They even have kneeling benches for you to kneel on in front of it, attached to your pews. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. There's, in fact, it's everything right about bowing before the Lord. So they all bowed down and they prostrated themselves. Wouldn't it be interesting to walk in here some Sunday morning if you're a, Never been here before, and everybody's laying on the floor. Um, well, that's actually happened before. We say, well, what is that? Are they tired? Didn't they get enough sleep last night? Was the sermon that boring? They all fell asleep on the floor? No, it's praise and worship. And what is the idea behind prostrating ourselves? It's that sense of total devotion to the Lord, of those who are the created coming into the presence of the Creator, those who are the redeemed, whose sins have been forgiven, coming into the presence of the Redeemer, those who have been so filled with sin, coming into the presence of well, the One who so freely gives us His grace. And we just come into His presence in awe, in amazement, in absolute worship. We just prostrate ourselves before the Lord. So... These are expressions of worship. Now, sometimes we think, well, when do we get to do that? Well, maybe we should be doing it a lot more than we, than we do. Uh, they prostrated themselves before the, before the Lord and the King. And then in the next couple of verses, it says, the next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and presented burnt offerings to him. A thousand bulls, a thousand rams, and a thousand male lambs together with their drink offerings. Now, that's be a little weird coming in here and seeing a thousand goats and a bunch of rams. You'd never get them in here. Well, why did they do that and why don't we do that now? Well, what they were doing was looking forward to the day when the Lamb of God, the one and only true Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, would come to this world in the form of a human being, born in a manger in Bethlehem, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a virgin, the virgin being Mary. And now, as he comes into his manhood, as John sees him, he says, look, here is the Lamb of God. That would have been such an incredible statement to make because the Jewish people present only knew the sacrifices that happened every day in the tabernacle. And that was the slaying of animals and their blood being poured on the, the brazen altar, the altar of judgment, and then into the holy of holiest place where there would, it would be poured once a day, or once a year rather, uh, on the Day of Atonement for the people. It was a daily and yearly ritual that happened for centuries in Israel. And now for John to say, now here is the Lamb of God. And no one really understood what he meant. 
But the whole rest of the New Testament is written about that, about who he is, about what he's done, and what our relationship with him is, that he invites us into his presence to be the sacrifices for sin have been made. He calls us nonetheless to make sacrifice, to give ourselves to him. And in so many ways we do that. Worship is involved with our time. It's involved with our devotion, with the time we, we spend in his presence through the week. It's involved in our tithe, in our giving. It's involved in our loving each other and serving each other. Worship is about all of those things, as we see from the book of Chronicles and how the people worship the Lord through sacrificial offerings to him. Somebody said, uh, Lord, don't ever let me give to, give to you that which costs me nothing. And it's so true. True worship does demand our all. In Romans, talks about our reasonable worship, and that is to present our entire lives before the Lord. Well, they offered drink offerings and other sacrifices in abundance for all of Israel. This is in celebration of what God would do in building the temple. And though they couldn't see it, and what God would do later on down through the centuries when Jesus came and created a whole new temple, the hearts and lives of his followers. And we called the church the place where he dwells today. They ate and they drank with great joy in the presence of the Lord that day. So what was worship? What is worship about? How do we express, express our worship? It's through all of these ways, through bowing. We spoke a message a few weeks ago about clapping our hands and shouting to the Lord. These aren't the only expressions of worship that are found in the Old Testament. They are just some of them that we're reading about here from the book of Chronicles. And he invites us to Enter into his presence with all of these expressions. Now, uh, I'll give you some examples. Hebrews, um, or Genesis chapter 18, verses 2. The, the Hebrew word, the one that's most commonly used for worship, is shakah. Now, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but that's what I've uh, studied and learned. And so uh, there's, I've got a few examples here for you. I've just written down three. There came a time in, in the life of Abraham where Abraham um, and Sarah, his wife, were expecting or hoping that she would get pregnant because God had promised that they would have a son and this would be a special son and he would be a covenantal son and all of these promises. But the years go by and the year, uh, decades go by and she's now past the age of childbearing and, and Abraham, her son, is quite old as well. And so they have kind of given up. But the Bible says at the beginning of this, of this chapter, chapter 18, that the Lord appeared to Abraham. And the Lord came into the presence of Abraham on a hot day when he was, when he was just sitting by a tree in, in a place called Mamre. And he appeared to him in the form of three angels. And these angels stood 
in front of Abraham, and they said to him, Abraham, by this time next year, you're going to have a son. And Abraham is a little stunned by this. But Sarah's wife is just kind of off to the side a little bit, and she kind of on the inside starts to laugh. There was no verbal expression. It was just, yeah, right. I'm way too old for that. Uh, it's not possible. And the angel went to where she was and she said, did you just laugh? And she said, no, I didn't laugh. She lied because she actually had. And the angel said, ask this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, as this tremendous experience in the life of Abraham took place, the Bible says he prostrated himself. And the word is that word shekah. That was also the word that we read in, uh, several times in First Chronicles 29. He prostrated himself. This is now at the promise of God. This is not what is, but is to come. This is beyond the worship of what is happening today. And what was happening today was awesome because God was there. He showed up in the, in, the, in the form of three angels. And as you open that chapter, it says the Lord appeared to Abraham. You know, you come to somebody and you give them a word, a prophetic word, a word of encouragement. It might not be the literal Lord who's standing in front of that person, but God is using you as a messenger on his behalf and you need to understand that there is power in that. And that you have a word for somebody, a word of encouragement, a word of love. Well, it's a whole other subject. But the fact was that this was an amazing experience as these angels appear before Abraham in the form of men. And he prostrates himself. He falls down in the presence of those who are representing the living God and the promise that was given a year from now. You'll be holding a little baby in your arms. And that baby will be very, very, very special. And then, uh, as time comes and the baby grows up and he needs to be married. It's the boy's name is Isaac. Uh, Abraham sends his his servant to find a wife to be led by the Lord to find this person who is to be brought back to be Isaac's wife. And when the servant comes, the Bible says that he bowed himself to the earth whenever Laban was offered his daughter Rebekah to her to take back to Isaac. So here is this servant bowing himself, recognizing the sovereignty of God. And so there was this worship of prostrating himself before the Lord. There's other examples like Moses. He comes to the people of Egypt 
after they've been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. Uh, how many generations is that? It's a lot of generations. There wouldn't be anybody that would have a, an active memory of what it was like to be in their homeland, the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. And so here they are as slaves to the Pharaoh, and he treats them cruelly. And Moses comes and says, guess what? God has said to me that I am to lead you out of this place to your homeland that they had never been to, to promises that they had never experienced or seen. And it says that the people believed what Moses said. It was a stretch, no doubt. How are we going to get out of here? I mean, Pharaoh's got an awful big army, and if we just try to slip out, he'll kill us all. There would have been a thousand reasons why not to believe Moses, but they believed him. And the Bible says they bowed their heads and worshipped. They didn't worship Moses. Because Moses had come and said, the Lord has sent me to give you this message. And there was a recognition in the promise that was given that this was God. And so they bowed their heads. They responded with an expression, a physical expression, in the presence of God to just thank him, to praise him, to recognize his sovereignty, to recognize that he's above all of their circumstances, no matter how impossible they might seem. And so they just, they did this. It doesn't say that they were told to do it. They just spontaneously did it. Here's something really interesting. The Greek word that is most commonly used in the Bible in the New Testament, and it's used 59 times, is a word proskuneo. Now, anybody here speak Greek? So you don't know if I pronounced that correctly or not. So we'll just go with it. All right, proskuneo. Anyway, it means worship. Now, it's formed from two words, pros, which means toward, and kodeo, which means to kiss. So worship has got this, by its very definition, is about kissing. Well, I could go down many bunny trails on this one. I can remember Dating Marlene. She's not here. She's split. She's downstairs. She told me that she might not be in the service, that she might be floating downstairs. And I said, I want to see that. Anyway, you can ask her about it. How she does that, I don't know. But we're just a little short of Sunday school teachers. So that's what she said. But the first time when we started to date and we were going out and we knew that there was a bond between us and we, we, uh, we knew God had called us. Our whole dating experience was about what is the will of God. Uh, we were both in Bible school, and but that didn't mean that we were to be together. She might have had one calling on her life and me another. And But we put the Lord first, and it became apparent to both of us that we loved each other and we should be together. And then there was the time that I kissed her for the first time. 
we'd actually gone to see the Peterborough Peets play hockey. And they were playing, I think, the Belleville team. It was a, a real, con, you know, it was a real, uh, what do you call it when two teams are? Rivalry, thank you. Uh, and so it was the second period, and the game was getting very boring. It was a 3-3 tie. It, well, at least it was boring because Marlene was beside me, and I wasn't really, it was really a very good game. So I said, what do you say we go? Now, we had a curfew because we were in Bible school, and so we only had a little bit of time. And it was a cold, cold January evening. And I thought, I'm going to kiss her. And just as I did, my nose started to run. And so I kissed her, and she kissed me back. And I'm thinking, what do I do now? If I pull away and go like this, it'll be like... Anyway, I was very self-conscious. That was our first kiss. But you see, our love was expressed in a kiss. And then, of course, since that, there's been lots of kisses. Now, if we had just said, oh, you know, I really love you, I really love you, I really, really love you, but then we never had a physical expression of that love. We never kissed. We never came together physically. Then it would be a love that would be, well, what would it be? It wouldn't, it couldn't be a marriage. What would it be? It, it, there had to be physical expression of our love. And you all know what I'm talking about. There's this natural desire that when we have someone that we love, that we want to embrace them. We want to have that physical, connect, physical connection with them. And God has ordained physical connection sexually in marriage. And it's important to know only in marriage. But it's ordained. And so we love each other. And we express that love physically in the most intimate of ways. Now, in the New Testament, the word that is used for, for worship of God, the most often used word is this one, proskuneo, to kiss. Well, how do you do that? Well, people have done things like kiss the ring of the minister or the priest or the pope or whatever. Is that what it means? But there's this natural desire. God has placed it there for us to find expression, intimate expression with the Lord. And to come into his presence as though we were in a love relationship that involved kissing and physical connection. Because in a way it really does. Um, in the Song of Solomon, verses, the first chapter, verses 2 and 3, this is an allegory of what the love between Christ and his church is. This is the woman crying out to the king about her love for him. And, and he says, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes or your and your ointments, your name is like perfume or ointment poured forth. 
Now, this is a picture, an Old Testament picture, of a love between a woman and a man and a man and a woman. And it typifies the love of the church, the bride, for her husband, Christ. That's why that book is there. It's a book about romantic love, yes, and it can serve... It it sure teaches us about romantic love between a man and a woman, but it teaches us more than that. It's a picture of the love of the church to Christ. Uh, That last part, pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. We used to sing it. Do you remember that? His name is like ointment poured forth. Anybody remember that? Jesus, Jesus, his name is as ointment poured forth. His name is as ointment poured forth. Anybody remember that? Yeah, a few of you do. Uh, anyway, it, it's, it's taken right from this love story, this love allegory, this picture of a love between a man and woman being like the relationship of the believer of his church with the Lord. And Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so every part of our being is brought into the love relationship with all our heart. That is that spiritual us inside of us. That is the part that's been redeemed, that was dead in trespasses and sins, the Bible says, but now has been made alive through Christ. And so with our spirit, we enter into worship, and it's a worship of love. And then, it's, and then it says, and with all of your soul, your, that means your emotions, it means your will, the choices that you make, it's your volition, it's everything about your mind, your soul, your spirit. And then it says, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, your physical being. So every part of you is invited to come into this worship experience of love with Jesus.